Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Speaking Generally podcast. As individualistic as Western culture may seem, we remain obstinately social creatures, searching for group identities, tribes, contemporaries, people who share our common experience and a lens through which to see the world and the challenges of our lives. Perhaps the one of the strongest invisible groups to which we cannot help belong is that of the generation in which we were born. A generation is defined as a particular demographic, particularly defined by age, who inhabit a set of shared beliefs, struggles, lifestyle aspirations, cultural references, and even psychological mood. The historical and social events we share and bear witness to be it a post-war boom or a dot-com crash, a technological or artistic revolution, to a global pandemic, can install a distinct way of looking at the world and our place in it that profoundly affects the choices we make about marriage and love, money and how to spend it, concern for others and the world around us, and even our feelings about death and our place in the universe. Here with me to stroll across the great generational barrier reef is my millennial compadre, my OK Boomer bosom buddy, Mr. George Taylor. Didn't like that. Which part is irking you? Well, those little those little bits you just said at the end. I thought you were going to say, here's okay. my like, timeless friend or something, but no. <laughs> oh, that's Here we what go. Distilled, well. just distilled into group, group think. Well, being a podcast, there's literally no way of us going back and re-recording that. So that's <laughs> um, It's also a well, medium that didn't exist before our generation. So, Good point. Well, that, you know, it's a vi- this is quite a difficult, meaty one to get stuck into. In, in case that intro wasn't clear, we're, we're talking about generational beliefs, um, where they come from, some differences between major generations, and how much we are defined by our own place in the sort of generational mix, as it were. How much does that define our, our identity and how we see and approach the world? Uh, well, I suppose to... To start with the obvious, George and I both fall squarely in what is known as the millennial generation. Uh, The millennial generation is sort of loosely defined as a group who grew up, uh, who were born between 1980 and sort of late 90s, 2000. Uh, Millennial because lots of them grew up circa around the millennium, turn of the millennium. Uh, George, how how do you feel about being a millennial? I mean, it's not an identity that I wear, <laughs> to be honest. I don't, you know, it's not a badge I, I proclaim. I'm, it's an interesting period to have grown up in because we sort of bridged the rise of the internet, I suppose, like being, we're probably the last generation of people who sort of lived before most people had computers or were computer savvy and then grew up and learned with them as they arose versus kids now who are born with that being you know second nature and just ever present um that's interesting but beyond that i don't really have any it's not something i think about let's put it that way i don't i'd I'd only think about it when put in direct opposition to something that i can see in i don't know maybe my say my parents outlook or something like that where i can go oh okay i can put that down to my generational privilege i suppose is i don't know if that's the right word generational like circumstance but 
it's yeah it's not something i i um i think about or wear whereas reading a lot of like sort of pop cultural contemporary journalism i suppose it's it's always at the forefront of how people are defined and pigeonholed and i don't know if, if that's just is that lazy or is that significant i'm not sure i think it's probably quite a broad broad canvas or broad umbrella um, under which to catch a lot of people yeah well i think it that's the thing it's very much so is uh i think in the last five years or so has become more and more talked about and obviously i think millennials is such a ubiquitous term that many people are familiar with it's so it's sort of so thrown around so commonly that it does feel like this generation more than a lot of others seem to be very much defined as a cohort and uh i don't know if i agree uh, well well i mean i looked at the numbers and millennials are actually the the baby boomers are often seen as a big generation the millennials are bigger they're like the biggest generation sorry like, i don't i don't, I don't disagree with the numbers more i i think isn't it just symptomatic of the fact that we can read a load of like 24-hour news cycle articles about all oh, millennials but the sort of distinctions between the sort of post-war generation and the like kids who grew up in the 1960s those values would have been you know the distinction with kids who grew up listening to the beatles versus the generation before that would be like a more visceral and probably talked about phenomenon just with less of a permeating medium to talk about them. You know, um, I feel like those um, distinct, those distinctions have been around every generation thinks it's significant and important. Well, actually I think, so I think one thing there you touch on is I think probably the baby boomers and the millennials are two of the most written about and thought about generations because there's others in between those that almost because of their lesser size and lesser perhaps cultural significance were less sort of talked about like so so if we're talking like just to kind of give some overview to this you sort of have uh, uh you know when they started giving these generations sort of big sociological terms you had the uh sort of a lost generation around the sort of that sort of 1920s period um you had what's known as the silent generation and that was a lot of people who went through the war and who grew up just after just sort of were children in the second world war and they gave birth to baby boomers um so they would have been our parents parents the lost generation sorry the silent generation would have been our parents parents and then our parents were baby boomers for a lot of us who are millennials who were sort of born around late 40s uh, to about 1961 to something like that. And then you go past that, though, you have Generation X, right? And Generation X are the sort of MTV generation they're called. Uh, they grew up sort of like the late 80s early 90s well a lot of the 80s and 90s and they sort of grunge hip-hop they're called the mtv generation and they were particularly small so generation x are often seen as kind of an overlooked talk, not talked about generation but they were a sort of 
there was a very def- definite aesthetic and mood to that generation a lot of alienation they're called the latchkey generation there was kind of increasing divorce disaffectment disillusionment with boomers and then the millennials us um come after that and i think the millennials i mean ever since i was about probably i've seen millennials in think pieces since i was in my since i was like 20 or early 20s or something and i think or but isn't that just the product of the fact that think pieces have only been written online by everyone since we've been able to do that and that's a product of the fact that we're the you know we're at the most sort of present forward stage in time with the technology to do it so there's going to be more articles about us than there are the 1940s kids because we've got the meat or any anybody you know whichever generation writing about it now has got the means to disseminate it but the point I made before was there was probably more juxtaposition with generations previously. I I think we, you are right with the boomers and say the silent generation, like from war to post-war and, and the baby boomers had a particular run of, you know, huge change, huge change culturally, right? Where there was all the sixties and that kind of social revolution, artistic revolution with pop and the Beatles and all this change in like rock and roll music and that was a huge that was a huge sea change from like before that when you had like Glenn Miller or something right it that was massive and they obviously lived through the birth of you know televisions in your home all that kind of thing those were very very big moments i mean space program in the 60s so they they i think baby boomers were a particular and they were large so they had a huge amount and still do a huge amount of influence. But that's what what I've read is what people say is the baby boomers are a huge generation. So now they have a huge amount of influence and power, right? Lots of presidents, um, heads of, I guess, I presidents. who's drawing these boundaries? Who's who get you know you're not talking about everyone born in a 10-year span so it's not they're not comparable groups right if generation x is sort of six-year window versus people born over a 30-year span like i I don't what's the what's the significance of it i think um i think the span so it says here baby boomers born between 1944 and 1964 Generation X, 1965 and 1979. So, yeah, less time. Um, I guess it's it's like one thing I've seen pointed out is that Generation X don't have a lot of, like, political or economic power compared to boomers who have, like, held on to the reins for a very long time. Lots of disproportionate wealth is concentrated in the over-60s in, like, America particularly. And this is obviously where the birth of lots of... You know, when people talk about generational divides now, they don't talk about millennials and Generation X or something like that. It's millennials v. boomers is like very much the sort of media pitted. This is where the resentment lies. The boomers had a massive effect on the world for good or worse. And the millennials see that very much concentrated there. I think, I think, but I think the millennials, to, to go back to your original point of, you know, is it just that, one you know who's talked about more or who's more significant but i think the millennials have been significant not only because of size but probably because they did live through also an epoch change of like you say we we rose with the birth of the internet we basically grew up with the world wide web 
and as it evolved, uh, social media, we were the first generation to probably engage and adopt with that huge revolution, uh, changing lots of online working, very massive events like 2008 uh, financial crisis. That was very definitive where people suddenly saw all the old certainties about jobs they were going to get go out the window real wages go down right they say at our age our parents earned much more on a uh, inflation adjusted basis than we do they got houses much sooner so in some ways we millennials have been defined by this big financial instability stability a lot of political chaos with things like the iraq war and stuff that like the boomers didn't have the boomers lived through a relatively sanguine peaceful time in history the cold, um, the cold and, war, vietnam korea depends where you live i suppose i mean uh, a lot of this just brings out crippling apathy for me i have to say because like time takes yeah, care of all this, this, is, right? this is going good isn't it? Um, <laughs> but like time on. time takes care of it right in three thousand years who no one cares like oh they live through the internet oh well poor them like you know, we we don't we distill histo- historically. You might suddenly condense. Oh, the Tudors for British people. Maybe it was like a, mm-hmm. you know, 150 year span. You don't really give much credence to the individual generational shifts within that, even though there might be what four or five with a shorter lifespan. In a couple of hundred years, people don't people don't care about us. I, I find it like it's sort of self self involved and like. Does it matter? Time's going to take care of all this. It's it's really like self-involved think piece nonsense to me in many in many ways because it's like well yeah I mean what what's the significance of it just just because I'm born roughly in the same period as some other people are we all are we all part of the same thing I don't know it it evokes a shrug from me as much as anything else because what older people have more money than younger people shock horror like I I don't see what the what the co- I don't see what the the point of it like in many ways. I mean, yeah, I I, I gen- I'm not trying to be like a, a stickler for it. I d- I don't see what the culture changes over time, technology changes over time. Shock horror. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, okay. So put, putting umbrellas or like putting labels on things is to whose benefit? It only what serves the person in the present applying hindsight, but in the future that'll also be redundant, won't it? Uh, well, I, that can be said about many topics seem, uh, less, <laughs> many culturally specific topics are less interesting in the span of history. The sixties will not be seen as that interesting eventually. I no, I, and I, I completely um, feel that way. So I, I'm more interested in like, in like pulling out individual, oh, wow, this piece of music is an interesting artifact from that time rather than like the broader umbrella, like the broader umbrella topic of it, because the specifics just get lost in the mix maybe see i'm very see i'm in in the opposite in some ways i if i go into an art gallery or look at history i am quite interested in the epoch as it were and the whole movement because part of that says to me what were the contexts and the beliefs at the time that enabled something like the industrial revolution or the the renaissance to flourish like what what was happening that made modernism in the 1920s, the early 20th century, what were the beliefs and things of that generation of people like Hemingway or Picasso or Joyce or, you know, whoever they might be, um, these people who tried to do new things. It's like, well, there must be something interesting about what that generation were responding to. 
and say like the 60s, right? It's like, why would people like Bob Dylan, the Beatles, and all these people like flower power, hippie movement, you know, all these kind of very radical things at the time, what was happening that them, those young people were sort of doing that or like punk in like the 70s and stuff. So to me, it does seem quite, I, I do find it, it's, it's one lens of looking through the world. I agree that on an individualistic basis, it can be a rather stifling or limited view when you say, well, there's all these other things that also are important to, you know, what you happen to choose to do with your life. And there are many other factors, right? Just the generation you're born into just clearly not define every choice you make. But to me, it's interesting how the generation's beliefs and experiences may shift society in a significant way. So, you know, if, um, you know, if say our, you know, the, the financial struggles of millennials change a lot of the whole Western view on whether it's worth owning a house or whether marriage is too, you know, or, or our, just our social freedom, right? And may change like whether people see marriage as less and less relevant. That has huge social implications going forward, like a hundred years or so, or deciding whether or not to, I don't know, uh, have a more global worldview where you're, you think that people in other countries are morally relevant and you're going to help lift other countries out of poverty. I think those things are like generational views that are shaped by the cultural context we're in. And those decisions have huge effects, I believe. And even artistically, artistically, it, it can change how culture is, right? Um, Com- completely. Um, but like wearing it as an identity and I, that's the thing I find like it's a bit sort of try it. It's like, oh, I'm part of this. It's like, you don't, unless you're a mover and shaker, I don't know, are you having an impact on it? There's millions and millions and millions of people who just get lost in the mix of it all. Um, I don't know. Does it, does it matter? Like, it's only in hindsight that that's going to be known or seen. Um, yeah, I, it's the, it's the wearing of it, of a, wearing of it as a badge or identifying as part of that as a collective. I've, I find that a strange, um, a group to pick, you know, of the many different groups in which people are born, like you said, and, you know, you could identify based on religious values, national values, sort of socioeconomic values. It's like the arbitrariness of this is when I was born as the group that you pigeonhole yourself amongst and you know view yourself against it's like it that's the most is that the most arbitrary of them all like the time you were born in um it's like the probably the broadest of all of them and therefore like the least sort of specific identity possible amongst all those things and it's so therefore in hindsight it it will need time for it to be like viewed on Whereas I guess other things are a little bit more like specific, maybe uh, it's such a broad and like wildly all-consuming topic that I find it very hard to talk about with any um, what well, authority. Yeah, I suppose authority as much as anything else. Well, I yeah, I think it's just I think it's interesting to look at how much you do or do not. Uh, a identify that and sort of looking at the impacts these things do have on 
your life and the cohort around you. Like I see, sometimes I feel really uh, like I don't identify with being a millennial at all, where I feel divorced from some of the, you know, people talk about it, them being, I don't know, incredibly uh, entitled and sensitive and thin skinned and millennials are like, you know, easily shrieking. And, uh, and I think of all those things, I think I, I don't feel like that much at all. I relate to that, um, that kind of idea, or I don't, you know, relate to the idea of living such a transient existence that millennials are sort of known for and having no sort of solid roots and things like that. But then on other parts, you see, well, there's lots of millennial things I have actually engaged with. Like, you know, we, we talk about a lot, we work in these sort of nomadic type startups or we work from our laptop a lot and don't really go to an office. We, uh, I don't own a home. I have currently moved back in with my parents for now. Um, uh, and certain things like that. And, and I don't particularly at the moment plan to own a home for a while. And I'm obviously not married. So I'm in the category of people who are obviously doing that as millennials are known for doing that later. And then I think, well, that, those probably are all like a product of being of this sort of social cultural milieu and lots of my friends do that as well. So it's just, it's, it's it's the headline there is just person in a generation behaves like the conditions of their generation. It's just like, yeah, I use the internet because it exists and the, the economy is as it is. So my response to the economy is proportionate to how it lets me be. And in a hundred years' time, people will do exactly those same things, but with different outcomes. Like that, I don't know what else there is to say about it. It's just like you respond to the environment you're in, whether that's conditioned by the technology that has arisen in that time or whatever it may be. And that will change as stuff changes. It's like I don't know what. It just it is what it is. You're 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 in and amongst it, so you'll respond accord like uh, accordingly or like contrarianly to it and that's sort of it i, I don't know like i i genuinely i i like I'm not trying to be antagonistic to the point but it's like part of me the more i think about it and it's not something i sort of think about day to day but it's just like it elicits not much more than a shrug it's like i'm a bit different to my parents because they had different circumstances to me and my children's will be different to mine like it is it is what it is i don't know what what to say beyond that what about what do you think of the fact then that people do the fact what i think is interesting is the amount of conflict the way this conflict has sort of bubbled up into a i'd say a bit of a crescendo over the last couple of years like so last year there was the whole okay boomer meme right which yeah was, the sort of thing i avoid like the plague steve Right, which is an extremely millennial thing in of itself, but it's the, the you know at, well to be fair, it's said to millennials and the generation after us who are I think known as Generation Z right now because they don't have a moniker, but um, you know they they started adopting this thing of saying "Okay, Boomer" in response to any person over sort of sixty online, probably over about forty. They they define Boomer as anyone about over forty now in the millennial speak, but. But yeah, of, of saying, you know, if they said, oh, you should just pay your way through college by getting a side job, they would say, okay, boomer, as in, okay, boomer, you're so naive because in your day, you could still pay for college with a job waitressing 
or something. And they sort of are seen as baby boomers don't get it. They think that millennials are just lazy and entitled and they have no appreciation for the fact that things are quite different when they grew up and say college didn't cause you to saddle yourself with like, you know, 30 grand of debt or whatever. Um, so, I, but I, I do think it's interesting, you know, if you, so last year there were a whole spate of think pieces saying like, is okay boomer uh, offensive or aggressive to boomers from millennials? What does it mean? Does it mean that generational conflict has kind of replaced class conflict? Whereas, you know, in the seventies or that, you might have had a lot more class being the divider, but, I think it's just, short, it. it's just easy. That's it's just like lazy and shorthand, isn't it? It's like, well, if you distilled so you it, of course the class things would come, you know, well, who can afford to go to university isn't age-based. It's like financially dependent more than that. So it's just like, it's like internet, but I've ranted about internet speak before and it feels like it's just the product of that. Every, every generation thinks they've had a hard time and it's like, oh, this, you know, the gen- I don't want to say our generation because there is one after us as well, but people who've got the ability to sit on Twitter and talk have got the privilege of talking about it and everyone's sort of susceptible to everyone's opinions more so than we were previously. So I just feel like there's a lot, there's a lot more like chirping on going on. And that's, that's kind of it. I imagine all this talk was going on 50 years previously. There just wasn't a platform for it. And like, you see it particularly see it now during like the coronavirus stuff going on where news platforms or TV platforms, whatever that have got themselves into the position of perpetuating a 24 hour news cycle and all this constant content. And now suddenly nothing's going on and more than ever, they're just desperately like spewing up like, Oh, this person said this on Twitter. It's just like, well, it's nonsense, but they're sort of you using the fact that, everyone's got a platform to talk about and air their opinions. It, it kind of gains a lot more s- sort of social traction now because the mechanisms to do it are there. They weren't there before, but I imagine if the Tudors had Twitter, they'd be moaning about, you know, who came before them because they, you know, didn't have a war with the French or whatever. It's like every, everyone just complains about their lot. And I find it, I find it sort of exhausting to, to think, to hear people think that that's a, spe- a special condition, maybe. Are you saying that Henry VIII would have been the boomer of the tu- of Tudor England? He would have sort of been the the archetype of resentment for the. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, mate, I'm sitting there, with your, sitting there with your big leg of chicken and your six wives, <laughs> mate. You, you had a life of Riley. And, yeah, and, but he'd have, he'd have. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know that. I I feel like there's a. I understand the significance of it from a sociological point of view and therefore using like a historical lens to see what happened generationally is of course significant. I appreciate that saying that will be stretched out over a period of time. It's sort of redundant because time makes everything redundant. But but, I, the, but the fact, but the fact so many people identify with like, you could list a bunch of habits and views of the certain generations and you would find lots of people would be like, yeah, that is true. Like, yeah, we, but uh, to me, millennials do spend. We do spend more on experiences and travel than we do on houses and because cars. Because that's how the world. That's how the world is at the moment, and it will change. So, as those changes come, people will behave differently. So, I, I just sort of think, oh, yeah. So it is the circumstances change, so behaviors change, and then in hindsight, we codify them as a group. But the thing I find strange is identifying as it 
in the moment. I find that something I would I certainly, yeah, I am from that generation. So that's me. I'm, that's not me saying, Oh, I'm different. And I'm like a special, you know, a special case. I'm just completely the product of the circumstances and environment and all the different things that have shaped me as I am in this time period as are probably most of my peers with similar stuff. And so were people 400 years ago with similar stuff. And so will be people. So it's like, yeah, the, the self identifying of it, I find something, well, something I don't do personally. I, I find it, I find it kind of strange as a, yeah, as a group to ally, ally yourself with. I, I appreciate the historical significance of it, but I don't feel like doing it in the moment is particularly Help, helpful I don't, I don't think any of the conditions you've said there that you know millennials are accusing older people of doing are you know helpful or beneficial or i don't see what's positive about doing any of that stuff it just sounds like a lot of, lot of sort of whinging but do you do you think they can have a justified feeling of like this generation won't make way for us or, or is no, I don't, I don't really I don't really care about that no because like I've got you know I've, I've, I've got loads of things that they didn't have I've got information at my fingertips I can fly around the world whenever I coronavirus allowing I can do that sort of stuff I can work you know flexibly that my parents weren't able to do so there's million, millions of things that I can do that they couldn't they had stuff that they could do that I couldn't I just I just don't really care about it I think I feel like, you know, I'm particularly mindful of the fact that I live in the West and I'm from a fairly, you know, fairly prosperous background and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't have, I don't have like a, I personally certainly don't have a stone to grind against an old generation. And I'm mindful that the things I have are as a result of people who came before me and that'll continue to be the way that people perpetuate the benefits that they've had with their children. I yeah, I, I don't, I've got, I've got good stuff, you know, I've got good stuff. They had relative good stuff, you know, oh, how cool would it be to grow up being able to go and see the Beatles? It'd be great. I can't, they could, whatever. I don't know. They didn't have to go to war. Their parents did. Like, I, I find it like really reductive to think like that. Um, there's plenty of resentment to be had with certain things, but for my personal setup, it's not, not particularly healthy i think think that way i'm not sure it's it feels it feels a lot like th yeah think sort of think piece argument and where does that get anyone um who who benefits from that i suppose apart from the advertisers I'm well i'm cancelling my subscription to new york that's what I'm <laughs> um no that i mean that's a very cogent and philosophical view on it uh and uh May I say a mature one, George? Um, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> to see both to no to see to be able to detach and see both sides is definitely uh, definitely something that people find very difficult on both ends. By the way, I think I think I, I see a lot of finger wagging from like boomer columnists as well who were who have all these sort of this vitriol and spiel to say about millennials, right? When it's like lots of millennials are also very sort of positive and hardworking and have a lot of get up and go in them and self-starting, you know, they've, they've done a lot, they do lots of self-starting things as well. So it's very also sort of trite to say, oh, millennials just want their life. Because the human characteristics, you know, I don't know, this person's altruistic or just generous or whatever, those characteristics exist in people 
of whichever generation. It's just the mechanisms and conditions around them that allow them to behave differently. So that'll, that'll change again. But, but again. even that, right? Even that, right? Like, there's a lot of millennial movements that like millennials are said to be very entitled and selfish. But there's a lot of millennial movements that have moved things massively towards giving lots away, like effective altruism and that community was very much built by millennials. Um, Will McCaskill, who runs that, is like, I don't know, in his early 30s or whatever. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. Um, but there's been great philanthropists of the past and there'll be great philanthropists in the future and all that sort of stuff. Like, okay, so it's more technically savvy or whatever. Now it will be different again in the future, right? So, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm fair, I think I'm probably fairly detached from it, but doesn't it just exist... It just exists on sort of Twitter and think pieces. Like, if you just uh, remove yourself from the conversation, then it's irrelevant to you. Yeah, but it might be an invisible force that's shaping your life then that you're not aware of. That, but there's so many fine. invisible forces that shape your life that it seems like a strange one to be to be caught up in. Yeah, well, I see these things as lenses, and I think you can put on different lenses and see that you know see things from like. Yeah, I, I think we have like a, a, a variety of filters and it's definitely one way generationally that I think, I don't know, I think it offers insight. Obviously, we, we can <laughs> disagree a bit on that, but I think it does, it helps offer insight into how much, you know, I, these conditioned behaviours are things me and my cohort do. Are they wise? Why do we think like that? What's that based on? And then you can kind of almost detach even further and be like, is it rational then to respond like that? Or is there a better way? And I think it just helps you see how many of your beliefs are just conditioned and how much you actually are choosing. Um, obviously, you're something more of a philosophical libertarian on this and, and like to be more self, self-directed. Um, but uh, I, you definitely won't be happy, George. I've been, I've been going out and promoting us as the saviors of millennials podcasting so i mean <laughs> finally a, a role a role that everyone is desperate to have filled that, that was the big that was the big marketing plan i had for us george so that's and, and we're both on board with it <laughs> um well let's uh Let's oh, stay on this because clearly, no, let's stay on this because clearly you love this topic. Um, like, no, as you say there, though, it's a lens. I completely agree. Completely agree with it as being a lens. But do you wear that? Like, are you wearing those glasses as you're sort of walking around and looking at stuff and doing stuff? You're not, right? It's it's only in hindsight or in a moment of reflection that that you would think that about yourself. I don't think you would go as a millennial. I dot dot dot. It's like you're more than that. No. No, You're exactly. a product of so uh, much more than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously playing devil's advocate in this conversation. I'm obviously more intellectually interested in the generational stuff than you, but I do, I do have the same thing as you, right? I, I mean, I generally don't like belonging to groups of any kind, so I, I don't like being pigeonholed into any cohort of like, oh, you're you must think like this because you're middle class or you went to university or you did this and so you must think X, Y, Z. Like I find all that, I, I very much go through my life trying to avoid belonging to a part of a group. I don't belong to a political party or things like that. But um, yeah, because I find it restraining. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely, sometimes I really find myself bitching about millennials and, and thinking, oh, like, 
that like almost just shrugging and sighing for uh, these are my like this is my cohort and this is like what they think about things and then sometimes I think oh yeah I do I conform quite a lot to some of those norms and behavior patterns but um but yeah, it's like, but yeah, yeah I, similar to some people and different to others, shock horror. Like, I, I get, it. I think, but there is just as much for me though. I sort of despair with like, oh, it was so, you know, culture was so much better in the past. Old films were so much better. Like that sort of wistful, <clears throat> backward looking is is equally as sort of tiresome to me as, oh, our generation have got it tough, or you know, in the here and now, think this is how stuff is. It's like. Stuff stuff was crap before, stuff was good before, stuff's crap now, stuff's good now. It's all like it's all a bit of a mixed bag and it'll just continue to be a mixed bag and the best you can do is make the best of it, I suppose. Yeah, I, I definitely really dislike the fatalism of people who just think like our generation's got it so difficult, we're saddled with debt and all of this, and it's all your fault and we're like trapped mm. in like a culture a cultural milieu that we can't get out of. Because again, like I just think, well, there are people who aren't trapped in that of our generation, or there are people who figured out ways to solve certain problems and, you know, really enjoy living, really enjoy living without a house and doing it a different way. And, and obviously, they, like, the more, if you're at the sort of the front of, of the present, of the arrow of time, as it were, like, if you're in the present, you've obviously, everything that's gone before is yours as well, right? You, just because it happened in the 60s or the 1560s, I've got access to that, you know, whatever's been historically recorded and kept. So you're kind of the product of you're sort of standing on the shoulder of more giants than anyone else got to do. And that will continue to be the case unless some apocalyptic, potentially the one we're in currently situation occurs. But really you, every sort of future generation should be able to build as much as possible on the things that happened before them and if people before you did bad stuff do better and learn from those lessons we're the product of more lessons than there ever have been so sort of yeah get get on with it one thing i will say is like you just said there george all those things already exist so you don't have to keep remaking everything (laughs) it already is there you don't have to remake the bloody ghostbusters yeah that wasn't even long ago (laughs) we don't need to reboot they're there they're there you can go watch them films anytime anytime um yeah yeah. to distill distill a generation onto its into its like the contemporary culture that it has is really really reductive because like all the music i grew up listening to was music from the 60s so it's like does that make me the same then as a kid who grew up as grew up in the 60s of course it doesn't, but it's like I've got the opportunity to do that now. So to say, oh, millennials listen to this or do this, it's like, well, they might. That might be the contemporary zeitgeist, but they've also got a huge archive of things that they can access that people in the 60s did not have. So, yeah, we're culturally richer. We, you know, we've got all those things. It's just not maybe happening in the here and now, but it's all at my fingertips. And I think I was thinking last night for some reason about, like, what superpower would I want and – I think it would be like a sort of omniscience compounded with the sort of unlimited time to be able to access that, right? Like to be able to just sort of scroll through and watch anything and everything that happened or might happen and have the time to be able to do that if that were possible. But like having more knowledge at your fingertips is just great. And each generation that goes forward should really have more, more access to things and more like, 
lessons to yeah to learn from and more pr- like precedents to follow on from so if you if you're fortunate to be in a situation where you can take advantage of that then that's going to be a better opportunity than someone who came previously because more things have occurred to learn from that's um that omniscience power may be sort of a monkey's paw type situation i think i think that could be sort of twilight zone thing where you get the wish and then you realize you've got no films left to watch no books left to read sure it's just why well, it just goes George wandering into the horizon it goes in all directions right so it could just be like it's just more oh who who shot kennedy oh i can watch what happened and find that out and then oh what happens in 15 billion years time to the galaxy oh wow that's mental oh so what you happened? want like god you want godlike omniscience yeah i think so but, You're really setting yourself up for sort of being an existentially lonely. But it happens. Like, it, but it's it's like a movie theater where I can go, but like time doesn't pass, and I can sort of watch through it all. It, right. It's not. I mean, it's not possible, Steve. So it doesn't really matter. It's not going to happen. If... <laughs> <laughs> but I think I would enjoy that, right? Like, short, like the ability to watch everything and see everything that has happened would be it'd be really cool. It'd be better than being invincible. Yeah, that's true. I mean, what are you going to do with that? Go, like, go to war. Like, <laughs> how you do, but, but I'm interested in stuff, so really that's just a way of saying, like, I'd like to be able to learn loads more stuff, stuff that would otherwise be way beyond me. Maybe. You just oh, it's a millennial wish, isn't it? It's like, the, I want a really, really advanced Wikipedia and YouTube all sort of mixed into one big thing. You basically just want to have already watched all of Netflix. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, Netflix. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit limited with its older films, but yeah, I get get what you mean. (laughs) The ultimate millennial binge watcher. (laughs) His greatest dream dream is just to binge watch everything. So after after all my posturing and ranting, actually, I just want to Netflix and chill. You are the most millennial man I've ever Um, well, let's, let's turn to a topic close to all our hearts, George, (laughs) and to this podcast, let's talk about love. Here we go. Um, you know, I think we'd be remiss given my job, uh, professional lover. Those of you who don't know in my day, (laughs) in my day job, I write about dating and relationships and, uh, you know, sort of Harry Bradshaw of figure, aren't you? Very much Brad, the Bradshaw of London. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> doing for London what she did for New York. Uh, yeah, so we talk about we talk about dating and relationships. Uh, generational differences in dating, I think, do they exist? I mean, the obvious one I have been finding in my reading, and I'll just find the statistics here. Uh, this is from. Research by Goldman Sachs. Millennials have been putting off significant milestones like marriage and children. That's no secret. But that doesn't mean they want to stay single forever. Median marriage age in the 1970s was 23. Median marriage age in 2010s was 30. Of course, that's the median. So a bunch of people are getting married significantly older than that as well. Um, Percentage of young people married and living on their own has dropped by more than 50% since the 1960s. Uh, Lots of people deciding marriage can wait. 
And it's also putting off parenthood. They're not just waiting for marriage. Millennials also waiting longer to have children. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, and in terms of how that affects dating and relationships, I guess, I guess the cliche that's been put about a lot is a lot of the last decade, I believe, romantically, has been defined by the rise of the dating app. Online dating has existed for longer than 10 years, but I think it really experienced some sort of wild boom in the 2010s. Uh, sorry, yeah, 2010s. And um, the whole idea of people, you know, marrying for love is not a new thing, but people sort of almost trying to optimize their mm. relationships a bit more, doing a lot more shopping around, a lot more... Um, not feeling the societal pressure to get married. I think the baby boomers may have been the last generation to, I, there's still societal pressure now, like, let's be honest, but I think they were the last generation to really feel uh, that they had to sort of get into that quite quickly after adolescence and, you know, in your 20s. I mean, adolescence is a fairly generationally new occurrence, right? In the grand scheme of history, adolescence has sort of only existed in the last hundred years as a sort of span in which people are viewed as different. 200 years ago, you're 10, you'd probably be, you know, out and working or whatever. Like it's the yeah. teenager is quite a rel relatively, in the grand scheme of things, new phenomenon. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's definitely a big one that sort of changed quickly where people, you know, now, okay, maybe there's some sort of counterculture for people who get married at 20, but it's quite unusual now for people to get married that early. You'd be like, wow, you're doing that quick. But people wouldn't have said that in our parents' generation if people got married at 20 or 21. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's interesting how and obviously now there's this thing where divorce rates have obviously risen and so there's there's also older people coming back on the market and they're sort of experiencing you know people who grew up in a very different time are now newly single again and sort of there's i don't think that that phenomenon obviously there was divorce and stuff in the 60s and 70s but not to the extent now where people are coming back on the market going single and and then getting back into like casual dating again so if you're someone that does that then if you're someone who was from a, a previous generation the baby boomer generation but is then enjoying and enacting and actioning the very millennial infrastructure that is in place does that make you a millennial does that stop you being <laughs> like do you know what I mean? Like if you're using those things and all the very distinct trappings of this more contemporary generation, but are from a previous one, is it, yeah. Are you just defined to the years you were born or the way you're behaving? Does that, does that make you like a millennial data if you're 65, but swiping left, right and center? Well, swiping on Tinder does not a millennial make. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it is it is really interesting how there are these two parallel. There's a bunch of people who obviously get married and sort of take themselves out of that game. But now there's like an older crew and a younger crew who are both doing the sort of same thing, maybe with different aspirations or what they're looking for. But, um, but never the twins shall meet. <laughs> but I definitely sometimes they do. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think for some of those people who divorce and go back on those apps, they. For some people, they do become a new lease of life where they do actually use it as a chance to 
like say, hey, I didn't realize I could just do this and casually date. For other people, they casually date for about two months and then quickly get married again. And that <laughs> also happens where they realize they were unhappy for about 20 years and then they think, oh, I met someone amazing on Tinder. Um, but yeah, that that's fascinating. And I do, I think the people who grew up through the dating apps had a very, the whole thing of the, the sort of real fast foodization of dating in that way where people could be meeting a complete stranger uh, within an hour and even like, oh, come to my flat in London, go around and hook up. I think that just, it's just like what whatever dating was in the sort of 70s, 80s, 90s, it's kind of that old speed. It's just everything has happened a lot quicker, more transients, more, and more, like I said, more like the whole rise of ghosting, people feeling rejected. There's a sense where people shop around or dehumanize people or just treat it like, oh, it's just fun for an evening and then you bail. And that whole weird mix of just people not knowing what you're looking for. Like some people are looking for the most casual hookup and, you know, quick thrill and other people are on there to actually find a relationship. And so, yeah, I think, I think that will, I don't know, it's hard to see at the moment how these things will ripple and echo through i could easily see a i don't think dating apps are going anywhere because if you can conveniently do that and find love or sex people are not gonna give that up but i do wonder if there'll be a counterculture eventually to that where these things go in cycles where maybe a generation coming up will look at it and go more conservative and they may think actually I don't want to hook up and I want there's already there's already that reaction isn't there like the generation younger than us right they drink less take fewer drugs have less sex sort of thing as a sort of broad categorization of their like adolescent behaviors I suppose so that could just be a marked reaction to what they've seen people 10 15 years older than them doing but there's also much more use of like phones and sort of social media so yeah it's yeah it's it's interesting but time will bear it out right it's very hard to be in the moment and define the moment it's only in hindsight that there might be a generation of like the the tinder generation almost of like kids who were born of parents who met in that way that's never happened before but yeah yeah. that's that's right I, i think the thing that what's interesting about it though is also you know having worked in with people in dating and relationships for 10 years now how much it doesn't actually change a lot of the fundamentals in that I think there are a lot of, you know, your disdain for these think pieces, George, but there's been many a sort of, there's been many a pearl clutching think piece on how dating apps are the rise of the dating apocalypse. And, you know, they're an absolute sort of scourge on love and romance. But I, you know, there's so many people I meet who are in their twenties or people I know, twenties, thirties, they're on there and they might, have their fun period maybe but they're really looking they'd like eventually to meet someone really special and have a relationship and in that way it's always it's interesting how much people do conform possibly because there's some human nature drive towards a kind of pairing or monogamous kind or relationships at least even if they're not monogamous but people do seem to eventually feel that it's meaningless to just hook up all the time and so it must I just be novel, like a novelty factor at work, right? Like 
these things didn't exist 10 years ago suddenly everyone's got access to things like you're going to give it a go right you're not you know the no- the novelty factor of it is going to bear out as much as anything you try yeah. it and like you say you're still the same person you just had the opportunity to do more than you had before yeah right and it's like by definition everyone starts out dating inexperienced right so you know if you're young and sort of come of age and you might just go well i want to try dating apps to do the dating thing and you may kind of it may feel like a buffet at first but eventually it's like you if if lots of other people get burnt out and feel malaise with it that's probably going to happen to you as well you might think Mm -hmm. i want something meaningful now yeah it's an equally um like strange experience to go through whether you were born now or 50 years ago the difference is if you're born born and kind of of age for that now you just don't know as different whereas if you were born before you've sort of seen how things have changed so it's a bit bit more of like a a disembodying experience maybe but it's still the actual process of i can meet a million people at the touch of a button is weird whether you were born then or now it's just being able to compare that as a norm or a, you know a novelty is probably where the generational difference comes into it yeah but it's interesting the the boomers right lived through the um the 60s obviously sexual revolution and there was a whole you know, a whole massive sea change there of like free sex, free love sort of thing and, and people being promiscuous for a while. But, you know, the the thing I've read about them is they, well, they eventually became conservative about it as well. Or they eventually, that that sort of ran its course, that, that 60s mentality. It wasn't like, it wasn't a sea change where it went, oh, the new norm is promiscuous love now forever and for the rest of your life. People sort of eventually moved on from that and I, yes I, I guess on that front I, I like access to the pill is probably the sea change that has permeated from that right like the availability of contraception for both genders to have the opportunity to to be as promiscuous as they would like to be is the sea change but yeah not everyone's running around naked covered in day glow paint that no, definitely that sure. definitely didn't last I'm sure if there were think pieces on the internet at that time, it would have been worrying that this is the end of monogamous relationships and sure, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but the, the, just to touch on something you said before about uh, the younger, the youngest generation now being more, um, what word did you use? Well, they, they're kind of, oh, they don't drink. They're more like, they're more fit, more healthy, lots of like con- health consciousness. I have seen some people talk about the fact that there's, if you look at sort of combined millennials and Generation Z, there is a sense where they are more, not conservative is the word. I don't think conservative is the word because politically they're not conservative, but uh, restrained, like less rebellious. Mm. They tend to be more straight-laced in a certain way, where, whereas you used to have like punk movements and things, but this generation are somewhat less inclined to kind of break the rules and you know do sort of crazy reckless things they're they're a bit more sensible like they don't they don't drink as much and have as many addiction problems and health problems yeah maybe there's possibly less like juxtaposition right in the people that sort of what are you rebelling against what have you got sort of attitude of like the sort of 50s and 60s like the older generation would be a very different buttoned up fustier 
kind of overseer, right. whereas now it's like you're, you know, if your parents grew up in the 60s and 70s, they're kind of like aware of loads of different social ideas and in the grand scheme of things are pretty broad-minded. So like being a young person and rebelling against someone who grew up in the 60s, it's like, well, they've seen it. If the people you're rebelling against used to listen to the Sex Pistols, it's harder, you know, it's not the same as like you said earlier, oh, Glenn Miller and like buttoned up black tie dinners. It's it's a very different, it's sort of, it's harder to be rebellious against people that have yeah, also had their own rebellion. That's probably true, actually. That's a, that's a very interesting point. And yeah, there would have been a stark difference with that sort of war generation who would have been very conservative, uh, mm. relatively. Um, yeah, well, I mean, but you are, yeah, yeah, sorry, no, it's just other trails of thought. Um, how long have we been rolling for, George? I think we've moved into the next generation, Steve. <laughs> we've uh, we've grown, uh, we've grown through this. Um, it is always quite I, a sad I, moment when you're filling in like a census, and it'll be like, "What age are you?" And it'll be you know like eighteen to thirty, and then now it's like thirty to forty-five or whatever. And you think, "Oh, here we go." That's always a bit of a stinker. That that's the thing. Yeah, that's definitely the thing that I fear losing is when you can't it's not that i want to identify in some youth movement or anything but sort of not being the most youthful generation anymore is quite strange having been that for a long time and then you think ah there's people that are 18 now and yeah. uh i they're gonna see me as out of touch yeah they're not gonna give us a second look <laughs> it's when it's when as well i see something obviously Huge things you like we would know about, like I don't listen to them, but BTS, like a huge like K-pop movement like that, which is clearly skews young. But sometimes on Twitter, I'll see someone trending who even people are sad they died, and I don't know who they are. What, they because like they 20, were younger than you, and they've been. They were like a twenty. They were like a twenty-two-year-old rapper who died. Right, and it's like people are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it! He was amazing. I always love his music." I'm like who the hell is this? I don't know who this is. And people are already seeing him as like a fallen icon of their generation. Yeah. And it's like, oh God, there's a... Like, that's how, how it must, must be the case with all sort of cultural yeah. young deaths, right? Like, I don't know, Buddy Holly. Like, if you're older than, he, older than he was and didn't pay attention to like pop radio, all these sort of crying teenagers about someone who's 21 or whatever, you're not going to be... Yeah, you're not going to be on the same page as it, as as they were with it, and like all those sort of great died at 27 sort of people. Must be loads of older people who that just passed by completely. But for anyone, yeah, who grew up with Jimi Hendrix, or you know, it would be the same. But yeah, it, I guess now with like this sort of SoundCloud rap generation, it's easier to get your stuff out there as well to a big audience. You can be like self-promoted, right? So you can reach this whole generational audience that wasn't possible 20 years ago 20 years ago you'd be what sharing cassettes or something 30 years ago you'd be sharing cassettes whereas now you can yeah reach a billion instagram followers and affect a lot more people a lot more easily i think a litmus test right now george if you're a boomer or or a millennial or lower i think the distinction is do you know who billy eilish is (laughs) yeah she's been written about in so many so many like you know she'll be on like loads of 
the James Corden show, like loads of people will watch that or she'll be in Vogue or whatever. So she's probably too famous for that to be a fair litmus test now. She's huge, but I think a lot of boomers still don't know who the hell Billie Eilish is. Yeah, but but a lot of people of that generation don't know who Philip Roth is. So, you know, I I know what you're saying, but I just think... Interesting figures to put alongside each other. No, but like, you know, well, he would have been like an upstart, you know, like... Portnoy's complaint would have sort of shocked an entire generation of people in in the generation older than his one. So, in many ways, yes. not dissimilar. But her work isn't to shock. But yeah, I think it's more. She, my point is just she's a very popular singer now. So it's like if you follow music, you will know who she is. If you're fifty or fifteen, right? Yeah, that's true. Like there was when Arcade Fire won the Grammy for Best Album, there were all these like tons of memes like who who's Arcade Fire? And it's like, well, <laughs> if you don't follow music, you won't know. So it doesn't matter how old they are. Yeah, what happened to those guys? <laughs> they did that bad album. They lost a lot of lot of traction. They're recording another one at the moment. Yeah, that I mean that that was an abomination, that album. Sidetrack, sidetrack. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I love the band. If you're listening, if any of Arcade Fire are listening, I'm... I love you. Love your stuff. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Well, I am conscious. I don't know how long we've been rolling, George. Honestly. It's, oh. It's um, yeah, I, I don't seem to have a way of checking, but I reckon it's. I reckon it's a while. Um. Well, one thing we didn't talk about, George, we know it is your favourite. Um, is of course uh, generation. What separates generations, George? Their language, and we know you're a big fan of all the modern neologisms. Uh, using hashtags in your speech. Uh, if anyone says because science or mm-hmm. because, <laughs> um, what else do you love? Blessed. <laughs> Don't put me through it, please. Hot, hot girl summer. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> you just reading through your last Instagram post. <laughs> this is well. This is me out of touch. I'm trying to remember what they are. Hmm. Um, Bay, obviously, that's that's a bit dated now. But Bay, I can't even hashtag mm. dying hashtag goals. Um, generational slang, George. We we don't. The thing is. We don't know what's here to stay and what's going to look ridiculously outdated. In I wouldn't. Years. I wouldn't. And I think we went into this at great length on the episode that we did, we did about this. Um, I wouldn't profess to being above sort of generational slang. Obviously, used language that didn't exist previously. The thing I find strange is a- adopting these phrases that are clearly so new and then using it as a way of integrating. I find that very desperate and difficult to stomach it's like it didn't exist Beyonce used it now you're using it we can trace where it came from and you're using it and I find something very needy about that that I don't buy into of course I would use you know generational language everyone does but it's the traceability of that internet speak that I I find makes it kind of inexcusable to use uh I mean we People, people who want to listen to a lot of our views on this can go back and see our episode on whether internet language is a good or bad thing. But uh, yeah, I, I have the same cringy thing when I see it being casually tossed around, especially just in 
you know, we talked about if you're on a date and someone uses it, it is a bit of a cringe moment. I, George, is this unfair? Is it unfair for me to find it more cringe if people above a certain age on Twitter use, like, if a 50-year-old says she's fire or something, or, you know, she, you know, if, if they say Ryan Gosling is bae or whatever, is, is, it, is it worse, is it unfair of me if I find it more cringy if someone sort of over 50 is using that? Possibly if, I think... If your issue with it is the same as mine, that it's a desperate, a desperately traceable attempt to belong and you're already not part of the group you're trying to belong to and you're then doing it, then it probably is worse, yes. There's no, I mean, the thing that gets my back up more than, well, I don't want to say more than anything because so many things get my back up, Steve, but, you know, Jonathan Ross doing a rap and it being funny, you know, that sort of stuff, like a person who's not part of a generation or a group (laughs) trying to buy into it. And like the joke is the jokes, what rap rap is the punchline there. What I don't know what the (laughs) when you can't even identify what the joke is. It's like, well, people rap and it's a very acceptable medium. So what the joke is that you have a speech impediment. Is that the joke that you're making? It's not because you defend those people. So it's, it's very hard to sort of trace Oh, I'm going to say Wagwan or something. Oh, shut up! Like that. <laughs> so there is definitely something there with an age. With an age, yeah, age definitely comes into it because it's like, who are you? Who are you impressing? But I think the people who respond to it positively are more at fault than the people who are perpetuating it. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah. You know, the audience that encourage it is worse than the person starting it. Yeah, yeah. Don't give it any oxygen, it'll just die. <laughs> well, that we can all drink. Wassy so. slammed. <laughs> <laughs> um just a couple of just a couple of quotes. Oh, one quote here, George. Um every generation revolts against its fathers and makes friends with its grandfathers. That was Lewis Mumford, who was sort of an American historian. Mumford and it? Sons. He's he's the senior Mumford. Uh, (laughs) The father of the sons. Uh, Sons famously began a a successful band. Um, Yeah, no, I thought that was an interesting one. The idea that you revolt against the previous generation and maybe uh, subtly sympathise with the one before. There's that quote, isn't Um, there? It's like when I when I was a youngster. It's something like when I was a little kid, I thought my father was God, and then when I was a teenager, I hated my dad, and then when I was an adult, I realised he knew a lot more than I thought he did. Yeah, I'm I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) (laughs) That sentiment is clearly there, isn't it? You sort of think you know more than the people before you, but with a bit of perspective, you probably realised they were going through the same things as you as well. I definitely think that empathy for both is is particularly lacking in a certain sense. And I think, well, I say both again, like it's not just boomers and millennials, there are other people, uh, other generations. But but yeah, I, I do find if you can just extend, like you said before, that they probably, you know, well, yeah, it's like they didn't have Iraq or, um, you know, what, you know, other conflicts, but they had Vietnam and Korea and other, it's hard to be empathetic in 140 characters, right? It's just like the stupid mediums that these arguments are taken out in are probably not the best mediums by which to understand each other. Yeah, and and I, I think the part where you again, I I have some 
I take some issue with your your disdain for the generational divide, but I do think I agree on the aspect that it can be an, an extremely reductive way of trying to boil down like grand. It can it can reek a little bit of sort of grand theory of trying to explain everything and trying to explain differences between people. And I I am inherently suspicious of anything that tries to be too reductive in that. Oh, this explains why all these people do X. It's it's religion. It, you know, it's like oh, America is all explained by Christianity and Calvinism or whatever or capitalism. And it's like it's just a very reductive, shorthand way of trying mm. to over-explain complex phenomena. Um, but yeah, I uh, I nonetheless think it's very interesting. George, what do you think, boomer? Boomer celebrities. <laughs> Versus millennial celebrities, Madonna versus Taylor Swift. That to me is sort of a. There's Which an argument. Like, is this like a challenge that someone's thrown down? <laughs> no, I just thought it's interesting. That's an archetypal, like massively famous boomer in her time, Madonna. Massively right. famous millennial Taylor Swift. Yeah, it's uh, just but it's pointless, isn't it? Because the, the but the more recent generation owes a debt to the previous one. So comparing and contrasting them is to what? Yeah, to what end, really? Both, let, let's agree they're both, they've both made great hits. <laughs> they're both very successful. Both very successful. That's all we're going to say on that. So <laughs> thanks. Thank you on the fence it. as ever. <laughs> uh, all right, let's wrap up there. I think this has been meaty. It's been comprehensive. I think we've cracked this one. <laughs> Done, uh, yeah. We can draw a line under that. on the table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we've said we've said the final word on millennials. There will be no fig pieces following this one. Uh, all right. Who are we well, laying into next week? Good point. Let's have a think. Let's get our heads together. Um, we'll see. We'll see if there's any other grand theories. Maybe I can just present other sort of big entire fields of work that you can dismiss. <laughs> <laughs> you can just sort of hand wave them away and say nah not for me yeah uh, so I look forward to more of that everyone thanks as ever for listening um, we've been having a wonderful well we're just very grateful for all the listeners that are still coming in and I see lots of people are working their way through the back catalogue and we greatly appreciate it we welcome you uh, if you have any comments on the episode, email me at shussey at gmail.com. That's S-H-H-U-S-S-E-Y at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. Let me know if you agree or disagree with George or I. And that's it. If thereafter, maybe a new co-host, email Steve and put in a word, yeah. You've got anyone... Don't send that to both you? of us, but just straight to this open. Maybe someone else you could... Yeah, yeah, just put put forward any candidates. Always. <laughs> but specifically to Steve's email address, just keep it anonymous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just shoot it in. Um, anything you want to recommend, George, on this big topic? Oh, Christ. Um, I've got a film recommendation, a film I watched over the last week that was really good and in some ways transcends generational divides because it's set in the 60s and the 80s. I suppose, if I'm really going to shoehorn something in, I can give you that. Okay. It's the film Love and Mercy, 
it's about Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys kind of main creative figurehead. And it follows the band in the 60s when he's recording Pet Sounds and the album that never quite became Smile. And then it also follows him in the 1980s after he'd had a lot of sort of psychotic mental health episodes and was being held at the mercy of a very oppressive doctor. And it, it follows the two timelines in his life. It's a biop, well, biopic's probably not the right word for it, but um, it's a sort of feature film with John Cusack and Paul Dano playing the older and younger versions of Brian Wilson, respectively. It's really good. I had a great time watching it. I love their music and it did their music a great service. Um, yeah, captures those two periods really well. Really interesting. Almost a thriller in the 80s and a sort of musical ode to his genius in the 60s period. I loved it. I thought it was great. If you like the Beach Boys, you'll really like that film, Love and Mercy. Uh, wonderful. I didn't want to watch that one. so I'll It's on iPlayer at the moment if you're in the UK. I think it's up there for another two weeks. So, yeah, tuck in. Um, I'll, there's a couple we've recommended before that I'll just say, but they're, they're sort of good, um, good ones for looking at yeah. millennial, uh, I guess the millennial mind. Um, obviously, Greta Gerwig, who is one of the sort of top working millennial filmmakers, I guess. Uh, uh, Lady Bird and Francis Hart. I think she puts that on a on a business card, <laughs> isn't she? Um, Lady Bird and Francis Ha are both sort of explorations of that uh, a young person's life in sort of millennial world. And also, similarly, uh, her partner, I don't know if he's her partner still, but uh, her creative partner, uh, Noah Baumbach, who made the film While We're Young, which is, uh, you know, about Ben Stiller and I think it's Naomi Watts uh, making friends with a younger pair of millennials and sort of envying them and their freedom. So uh, you can go check them out. And uh, obviously Lena Dunham's Girls is probably one of the archetypal millennial TV shows of four millennial women in modern day Manhattan. And all the dating changes and tribulations of being a young millennial woman. That's the podcast for today, George. (laughs) We've drawn out this ending long enough, let's... Let's, call it line under it. Let's get this to the cuffing room, see if you could cut 30, 40 minutes out of it. Uh, all right. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.